0: Hello, and welcome to What We Brought Home, with your hosts Mike Izzo and Pat McGinty. We invite military veterans to anonymously share their stories of war and service, specifically the stories that they hide from the world. The stories featured on this podcast often include sensitive topics like death and violence that might be triggering for some. At times, you might even hear us or our guests laugh at situations that are actually quite serious. Like other jobs that involve life or death situations, grim and ironic humor is often a way to cope. Listener discretion is advised. Also at times, you may notice breaks in the audio. We take anonymity very seriously, and we edit stories to protect the identities of the storyteller and others involved. Finally. If what you hear in this episode reminds you of one of your own experiences, and you want to share your story, let us know. If it's something from your time in service that you often think about, but rarely talk about, you're not alone. We're here to listen with no judgment. All stories are shared anonymously. Go ahead and visit our website, whatwebroughthome.com, to learn more. Hello, this is Pat
1: McGinty. And I'm here with my co-host, Mike Izzo. Welcome to our podcast, What We Brought Home. For this week's episode, we're going to do something a little bit unique. Mike is going to share one of his personal stories from his time in service. Now we understand that this isn't anonymous uh, because you know who we are as the hosts, but we thought that it was important that we share one of our stories as well. That's really where the The genesis of this podcast was founded in us uh, telling our own story to each other, well, first to ourselves and then to each other. And that fueled the idea behind the cathartic experience of of telling one of these personal stories that that we've thought about for so long uh, since deployment. And so we feel that it's important that, uh, that we share our stories as well. I'm really happy to be sharing this experience with Mike and for him to feel comfortable enough and understand the importance of, of telling us his story. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Mike and let him share his story with us.
0: Uh, yeah, thanks, Pat. Uh, Yes, this story is from mid-2000s with my time in the Army and in Iraq. And so it was... I was deployed for about a year. Roughly, you know, two-thirds of the way through the deployment. Uh, We were living at a small patrol base on the edge of a, you know, medium-sized city in Iraq. And you know, our, our, this base was located, you know, pretty much on a major road going in and out of the city. Yeah. You know, the base, it was a small compound. It was actually a former uh, resort that had been transformed into, had been uh, rebuilt and transformed into a military base. And so we were there with a, a about 150 people about about an infantry company one infantry company plus other people and this was a time when you know my boss my company commander was on leave so i was the acting company commander at this time i was my job at the time was second in command of the company he was out he was back home so i was i was leaving the company and you know, our unit—we're the unit closest to the city. We were off by ourselves, and we—you know—a lot of times we could get, uh, you know, resources that other units didn't necessarily need. And so, you know, this one one item that that we had worked really hard to get uh, was a was a camera. Uh, it was this really powerful camera that was mounted on top of a, a, a pole, you know, we would, you know, it had a, had a, a base and, and it would, you know, the camera probably went like 200 feet in the air. It was on this really tall pole. And, you know, you, you could see, you could see across the city with it, uh, you know, a couple kilometers, kilometers. Um, and, and it had a, it had a terminal, like a, a monitor inside our company command post. So, you know, we would, use the camera from time to time to look around the base, but not, not often. And so on this one particular evening, it was a, you know, kind of random evening, normal day. We got a call from our battalion headquarters and they had informed us that there was a, they had, they had gotten some intelligence that a truck loaded with explosives and weapons was driving through the city that it was to, that it was driving from south to north, which was generally in our direction and it was going to be exiting the city uh, and that it was that, that'd be happening very very soon and we, we didn't get these reports very often occasionally we'd get like a you know a, an intelligence report to react quickly, but like I said this wasn't common so so we we got this report and we you know immediately started thinking you know how could we try to find this truck. So we, you know, so we start, we think like, all right, let's 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 see what we can see in this camera. So my, myself and some fellow soldiers, we started to scan the city with this camera. And, you know, it wasn't like, you know, the town wasn't full of cars all the time. Uh, a A large truck would definitely stand out, but it wouldn't be, there's definitely more, more than one large truck in the city you know it's a like i said medium size so so we're scanning the we're scanning the city and we can see we can see some vehicles and people around and and then we spot you know we spot a truck driving south to north generally in our direction and and we and we, we're thinking you know this this might be the truck and you know, our, our mission is to, to try to stop attacks from happening. Finding a truck full of explosives and uh, weapons uh, that might be used for other attacks would be a huge, a huge win for us. So, so you know, we, we want to we wanted to stop we wanted to stop the truck and search it. So we, uh, you know, very hastily, you know, call on the radio to our to some sol- to our quick reaction force on the base. You know, soldiers were just hanging out in, uh, you know, their boots and, uh, you know, pants and T-shirts. They weren't, weren't wearing their body armor or helmets or anything like that. Uh, but we called to their uh, their platoon sergeant. We said, hey, you know, we need you guys to stop this truck that's about to drive by the front of the base. So we, you know, that, that, was, that, that was what we conveyed to them. Like, hey, you got you to gotta move quickly, stop the truck, search it. And they, the soldiers like grabbed their weapons and ran outside. And many of them didn't have body armor on or helmets. They just grabbed their weapons and, uh, and some magazines and ran outside. It was a bit of a hodgepodge, but, you know, they were moving as quickly as they could. And so, so they're running outside, they run out the front gate and they stand in the road and they're pointing their weapons in the direction of this truck. And the, and it's, you know, it's getting darker. It's, it's it's pro- it's probably, it's, it's early evening at this point and the and the truck pulls up it's right in front of our base and and the, the truck stops because it sees half a dozen guys with weapons pointed at it and so the driver you know, you know the, the you know as with a lot of you know situations in Iraq the the you know, who knows what was going through the, this driver's mind. Um, you know, I, I would, I would say on a, on a very base level, you know, when you, when you go somewhere and someone's pointing a weapon at you, you want to get away from that person pointing a weapon at you. So, so instead of, you know, stopping and staying there and, and getting out of the vehicle, the driver, you know, immediately starts turning around. So he starts doing a, you know, three point turn or a, six point turn to to get this big, you know, it's a big commercial truck, not, not a, not a tractor trailer smaller than that, but a several ton truck with a really tall you know, storage compartment in the back. So the truck starts, you know, making all these, doing all these points to turn around and, you know, the soldiers are trying to yell to get the vehicle to stop. but He's obviously not stopping. So, you know, I, I'm fuzzy on this. I wasn't outside. I don't know exactly how it started, but the, you know, the sol- some of the soldiers started shooting at the truck. Some, some shot at the wheels. Others, others definitely shot at the cab, and the the, the truck eventually rolled to a stop. And so the, the truck stops, they, 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 you know, they, they go and search the cab and they find out pretty quickly that the, the driver was dead. They had, had, they had killed him. And you know, I got, you know, I heard over the radio, you know, one of, one of the soldiers had searched the back of the truck and, and, you know, I had heard pretty quickly what they found in the back and and, it, and I, I remember more vividly. I don't remember the the radio call as much as vividly going outside and looking for myself. Um, I, I I remember opening up the back of the of the truck, and you know we didn't we didn't find any weapons uh, in the back of this truck. Uh, what instead it looked like was you know, what I can only describe as like medicine. You know, it was a bunch of small vials with little droppers. that looked like a what a pharmacy what a, what might be carried in a pharmacy or something in, in a country like iraq so so that that was that was incredibly it was it was disappointing to us at the time it was sad then you know i at the time you know i remember me and my colleagues our reaction was like holy shit like you know we You know, we just like, you know, use this camera to try to find uh, a quote unquote bad guy. And, uh, you know, and it led to this, it led to, you know, an innocent person losing their life. And so, you know, I think at the time our, uh, our takeaway from it was, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to use this camera a lot less or, uh, you know, or maybe not at all. Certainly not in this fashion, but you know we, you know, I remember feeling incredibly guilty at that time, and I still feel guilty about having, you know, had played a big part in putting those people in that situation, both the dr- you know the driver and, and the soldiers. Um, you know, it, it just feels so tragic to me, and and I feel, I feel embarrassed. I feel shame, uh, about my hand in it. And, you know, I, I don't know much about that driver. I I, th- I think we, I think we, I think we compensated the family in some way with like money, but, um, you know, and we tried to connect with them and apologize, but, you know, it just, it felt like such a waste and, and Um, you know, like, like, like we've talked about when, you know, when people refer to me or, you know, talk about veterans in general as, as, as heroes and, or people thank me for my service, you know, I I sometimes think about that story and I, I don't feel like a hero. I don't, I, that that it, it, there's a really big disconnect there that you know, and and I also feel, you know, like I said, I feel like I can't, I don't tell people the story because I you know tell myself they they don't want to hear it or they can't handle it or it's just not it's just not something that people want to hear about. So anyway, I'm I'm I I'm sharing it here, and you know, I hope that you know, if there are other veterans out there who have had similar experiences that, you know, we could maybe, maybe connect about, about their experience as well. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that, Mike. That's,
1: yeah, that's a pretty powerful story. And I think it takes a lot of courage to, to put it out there and and tell it because it isn't, you know, it's not the glamorous side of, of war that, that some people think about. Um, unfortunately I also think it's not uncommon, uh, especially, um, in the types of deployments that uh, we find ourselves in these days. Um, you know, I know personally I've, I had similar experiences, um, with the same type of situations and, you know, I, I think we do the best we can making decisions in the moment. The problem is those decisions are life and death and, and it's so, uh, you know, there's that term, the fog of war. It's so unclear what the right answer is. But I know, you know, for me personally, I think where we struggle then is when, when the outcome is, is something so tragic it could leave you second guessing your decisions for for a significant amount of time the rest of your life the rest of your life yeah <laughs> yeah 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 you know and it, right i mean you could play it the other way like what happens if it was full of weapons and and you were you know preventing a major attack or something like it's it's so unclear yeah what's the right thing to do yeah and you know what i do know though is that that one defi- that one event doesn't define who you are as a person and also it's it's okay to struggle with these events and it's okay to to feel uh, that disconnect there and and struggle with it but i do agree that half the or, or you know, the the way to to process it is to to tell the story and to to um, to understand that you know it it's something that happened and it's something to to move on from and, and um, you know forgive yourself and let go.
0: Yeah, thanks, man. I, I yeah, I appreciate you listening.
1: Yeah. Um, so let me ask immediately after the event, I mean, obviously you realize there were no weapons there, but what, what do you think, or, or can you remember sort of what you felt and sort of like what the mood of the, the company was or
0: the unit? I think, I, I think, you know, beyond you know, probably at the time, if I'm really honest, I, I think embarrassment was probably the most, was the strongest feeling, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 because, you know, I was like, you know, I was at work, you know, that this was a, a professional endeavor, uh, you know, and I, and I looked at it as, you know, this, this is a representation of my, you know, of who I am professionally. So I think I felt yeah, a little professionally embarrassed initially that you know I had kind of orchestrated the situation, and you know, and, and I think I did feel shame at the time as well, uh, especially like thinking about this man's family and and having to interact with them. I, I you know, I, 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 you know, I wanted us to to try to do right by them, but I certainly didn't feel proud standing in front of them, uh, or, or, right. or feel excited about engaging with them. I think I wanted to hide. So yeah, those are those are the two big yeah. feelings of the time.
1: I mean, that's a lot to ask of a 25 year old person too, you know, in such extreme circumstances. But I think, you know, what strikes me too is that that idea of the embarrassment or the professional, um, you know, your professional reputation is it, I think it lends to the, or points to how we, how difficult it is when we're deployed because we sort of, we dehumanize the population that we're with, right? Like the, right the indigenous population. And, um, and then to come back and reflect on that, like, these were real people with real families, and and um, it, at least in my experience, you know, we I, we didn't treat them like like real humans, you know. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Same. Right. They're yeah. They're you know a means to an end. Uh, yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. And for me, that's something I've struggled with reconciling. Yeah. Yeah, I feel similarly. Yeah, it's and I th- I think the you know the, the the disconnect from the people we interacted with and had these very intimate interactions with, whether we were you know, ra- you know, very violent but also intimate, where you're like you're in someone's house, you're you know, you're arresting a member of their family, you might have accidentally killed a member of their family. Like these are all, you know, you're you know, we don't have much of a connection. We don't have any connection to those people or the, the survivors. And so, you know, it's difficult to feel like you can really reconcile from them directly because there's really from where, where we sit, there's no way to connect with them again.
1: Right. Yeah. There's no means to do
0: that. Yeah. So we're just kind of left separated and living with the, sh- the shame and the grief from these experiences. And, and i you know, I'm, I, I know for a fact that, you know, that they're probably suffering as well, significantly. And, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to compare people's grief, but yeah, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm quite confident that their, um, their lives have been very different since then as well.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Unfortunately that was the situation we were all put in and um you know it's something that was bigger than us. Yeah. Um but I I I think this is a great um a great way to work on that. Um and I again I really appreciate you sharing and, and being vulnerable enough to put that out there.
0: Uh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for sitting this up with me. And uh, you know, again, hopefully we can, you know, some of the story, other, other veterans will be interested in sharing their stories with us as well.
1: Thanks for listening to what we brought home. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe or follow us wherever you find your podcasts. Like we said at the top of the show, if what you've heard here reminds you of one of your own experiences, and you want to tell your story, let us know. We're always looking to talk to fellow veterans. All stories are shared anonymously. Go ahead and visit our website, whatwebroughthome.com to learn more. Thanks again for listening.